Hi everyone. Before we begin, I wanted to say a big thank you for being here today and listening to the show. If you'd like to support Behind the Smile, you can do so by following this podcast and leaving a five-star review. Every rating and review helps this podcast to grow, meaning more people can discover these stories and find hope along their own journey. If you'd like to check out this week's Behind the Smile photo, head to ashbutters.com where you'll find all of the episode show notes. And with that, let's kick off this week's episode. Welcome to Behind the Smile with Ash Butters, a podcast designed to reveal the truth behind the masks we wear. Together, we look to demystify the human mind and its behaviours in relation to mental health, trauma and addiction. My name's Ash and I'll be your host as we uncover the real stories of people's pain and the steps they've taken to live a life of freedom in recovery. From sobriety to spirituality, join me each week as we uncover the reasons why people seek recovery and how their lives have changed by living one day at a time. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Smile. Today on the show we have Will Hitchens. Will is 33 years old and currently lives on the Gold Coast in Australia. He's in recovery from alcohol addiction and his sobriety date is the 1st of Feb 2020 and he's here today to share his story. Will, welcome to Behind the Smile. How are you? I'm good. Uh, glad to be here uh, as I'm passing through Melbourne on a trip back to the Gold Coast. Um, I know. <laughs> I feel so lucky that we've made this happen. Mm. Just so that the listeners have some context, I was on your show last week and mm. as we were chatting, I said, you know, I'd love to get you on Behind the Smile. And you said, well, I'm actually coming through Melbourne next week because you're yeah. on a bit of a road trip, right? Yeah, well, I went cross country from the Gold Coast to Adelaide Um was an idea that sprung up after we, uh, me and Mitch, who I do our podcast with, Last Drinks Podcast, uh, we were interviewed on another podcast called Young Blood Men's Mental Health with a guy named Callum. We found out he was from Adelaide and uh, Mitch is originally from Adelaide as well, so he was going back there for Christmas and that's when an idea just started sparked in our head. So I thought, well, I haven't been to Adelaide. I went once when I was in grade six on school exchange 20 years ago, so um, I thought I hadn't really dug my, t- dug my toes that much into Adelaide, so I thought, why not? So it was a three-day trip through the country, stopping in, you know, all the lovely sites of the country, Dubbo and Mildura, and, um, yeah, got into Adelaide, and we ended up doing a podcast with Callum uh, for our show, and then we did we interviewed yourself uh, while we were there, which will probably be out by the time this one's out, and... Yeah, then I just took in the sights of Adelaide with Mitch. It was good having, I guess, a local to guide me through that. And then I always wanted to do the Great Ocean Road. I'd never done it before, so I thought, because the crunchy cross-country drive is a bit dull and a bit anxiety-inducing because hundreds of kilometres, desert, sun blazing, one thing goes wrong, you get no cell phone service. It was always in the back of your mind, so I thought, oh, well, maybe have a nice scenic route back home, see all the natural beauty of the coast of um, Victoria. And, yeah, then went up in Melbourne and then I guess I'll be uh, pissing off tomorrow, heading back up the coast, back to the Gold Coast <laughs> eventually. <laughs> it's pretty wild, I think, for people that aren't Australian or don't really have the concept of just how big this country is, <laughs> three whole days of solid driving for yeah. you to get from where you live down to Adelaide, and yeah. that's only the east coast mm. of this country, yeah. a portion of it even. Yeah, it's um, it's a stupidly big country. And I've done drives like that before, and, yeah, it, it – Especially going inland off the coast, it really puts into perspective how big this country is and mm. how, I guess, empty a lot of it is as well because it is um, a lot of, um, yeah, just outback and just bush and just, yeah, lots of little towns along the way and they all have pubs, they all have post offices, they all have government buildings, they all have a general store and then a petrol station then off you go. Basically. I think that's like my biggest fear is that, you miss the petrol station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's not another one for another 400 kilometres or something. Mm, yeah, there's a few <laughs> of those where you're leaving the town and it says next petrol station 200, 300 kilometres. So uh, you have to kind of be strategic and I guess like with my car, my car can do a lot of kilometres 
But it's always just, oh, will I make it to the next one or should I just go back? (laughs) And I had to do that yesterday. Just, I would rather be safe than sorry than to go through and get lost in the mountains around the Great Ocean Road. That's exactly right. Well, I'm so glad that you were able to join me here today. Thank you so much for making the time on your journey. Will, before we dive into your photo that I've asked you to bring in today, I'd love for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So can we kick it off with where you grew up? what you do for work and what you do for fun. Mm. Well, I mean, I'm born and raised on the Gold Coast, which um, I'm always told is a rarity these days that finding someone who still lives on the Gold Coast who was born there. Um, but, yeah, so I've that's where I've um, been knocking about for 33 years, I guess, in between doing travelling stints and... Um, I mean, like for work at the moment, I'm working on my own podcast, the Last Drinks podcast, with um, with my co-host Mitch Ford, who we're now looking to explore business ideas together. I mean, my background's graphic design, so I had a background in, I guess, working in a couple of printing companies, and um, last year just got sick of it and just, um, I guess, quit abruptly, and then took some time off to try and sort out my guess mental state and um yeah and then yeah then the idea I guess with I guess yeah which came with the podcast with Mitch pitched the idea and then so we started exploring that and then what I do for fun I I mean I'm very health focused so I do go to the gym a lot I just access a lot of exercise um creative person so I like art photography playing guitar um, and then just, yeah, working on this um, pursuit, this podcast as well as, um, I guess, quite a fulfilling pursuit as well. And then, yeah, just the usual other stuff, spending time with friends and then living on the Gold Coast, you know, just swimming in the ocean and not getting eaten by sharks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Now, are all these hobbies that you described, are they things that you were doing before you got sober or are they things that you've discovered about yourself since you stopped drinking? I've always been a creative person. I guess that's what led me down the graphic design route. Um, probably um, I found, I certainly found, well, it was actually one of the cop-outs when I was drinking was, oh, well, I need to drink because that makes me more creative. And I think anyone who is a creative person will realise that most of the stuff that you create when you're on the piss is just garbage i mean in my experience a lot of it was just garbage the best stuff i've i mean the stuff that i'm creating now is way better than anything that i ever did mm. yeah, when i was drinking mm. <laughs> but again that would just be yeah just one of those things of just like you're just looking for an excuse to drink it's like oh i need to do it because of this i need to do it because of, of this yeah and, and it's just no the creative stuff's in there you just got to tap into it yeah and i found for myself that what alcohol did was it actually disconnected me from being able to tap into the pure creativity that Mm. was there you know i'd do this kind of surface creation or i'd start things and not finish them Mm. but being able to tap into like that inner source where this really unique authentic drive comes from yeah that sobriety is where that comes from yeah i'd agree with that yeah like i'd feel disconnected as well because if i'd had like it's like if I was just doing a drawing, if I was taking pictures, if I was, I mean, I create stupid content on the in, on social media from time to time. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, this this is a funny bit. And then the next morning, wake up and go, no, that wasn't funny at all. It was quite sad. And then, yeah, yeah so there's, it's quite a disconnect, I guess, your drunk self and your sober self. Mm. So. <laughs> do you know what I used to do? I'd get really, really drunk and I'd be really high and I'd be lying in bed and I couldn't sleep because of the the drugs running through my system and I'd get these what I thought were strokes of genius at the time and I'd get my phone out and I'd write all of these notes like mm. for an hour just like writing it all down and I'm thinking to myself I'm going to turn this into a book I'm going to make something <laughs> of this it's going to be like profound groundbreaking revelations and then I'd wake up the next mm. morning and read it and like want to curl into yeah. a, a ball and just have the world swallow me whole mm. it was mortifying yeah it's like all the entrepreneurial business ideas you have with mates at 3am around glass tables, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then you to black out and wake up the next day and you can't remember any of those ideas again. Not that yeah. any of them were probably any good anyway in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's take a look at the photo that you've brought in today. <laughs> now, 
It's one of the, it's probably one of the worst photos of me, I guess. So we may as well get the be- the, the best of the worst. <laughs> now, to be honest, this looks like a completely different person. <laughs> and for the listeners who can't see the photo, I'll make sure that I have Will's current photo as well as the photo that we're talking about today so that you can see the difference because mm. it's just profound. So I'll have that on my Instagram <laughs> at Ash Butters as well as the website ashbutters.com. But for our listeners who can't see that photo, can you describe what's going on in the photo and what's happening in your life at this time? Well, I guess the photo, I'm very much larger in the sense of, to put it bluntly, fat, um, very round in the face, double chins. Um, I know that I thought like the photo itself is just, it, it was kind of, I guess, like a capture the moment in a nightclub, I guess, that just the camera just comes out and just like ching ching and you just, I guess, have like a shocked look on your face. But, I mean, this would have been when I was probably 25, 30 kilos heavier than I am now. Um mostly yeah just from excessive uh calorie consumption from alcohol but the story behind the photo because i was thinking about it yesterday because i was reminded of i was like i've this is the this is the last like the last time i was in melbourne was about close to six years ago and it was on a trip i went with a friend who was flying back to hobart to pick up his car after he had a relationship breakdown and he was driving it back to the coast and during that time I was working as an Uber driver, but I had a suspended license, so I guess I wasn't working as an <laughs> Uber driver. <laughs> and my friend, my friend wanted companies, and I thought, yeah, all right, let's go. I've never been to Hobart, so we went down to Hobart, and I believe that was that night was we got drunk and we wound up in a it was I think it was a gay bar, it was a transvestite <laughs> bar, it was or it was both, <laughs> and. In the photo, I guess, yeah, me and him were standing next to each other. Just this moment of just someone took a picture of us and I'm like double parked and just, I guess, as as weathered and as um, awful as um, as you could possibly, I guess, look and imagine. And it is it is hard to, to imagine that, that, I guess, that person was me at one point because I guess it's been, yeah, like close to six years since um, that was me and... And even at that time, because that was 2017, and around that time, I guess the because I yeah I had a suspended license from I guess losing all my points, so I wasn't working. So that's when my drinking sort of accelerated, I guess, a fair amount more. And I didn't have that many pictures taken of me at that time because mm. yeah, like I just didn't want to. It wasn't something I wanted to look at. I you know, as I guess as you are when you're an addict, you don't like looking yourself in the mirror. You don't want to. Um, be reminded of, I guess, the mess that you've become and getting stuck in the loop of, yeah, not being able to find a way out of the mess that you've created for yourself. Mm. And so it's, yeah, it's always a, it's a tough thing. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. There's not a lot of photos of me from those last sort of couple of years mm. where my drinking really progressed because, as you said, I didn't want to look at myself. I actually, I couldn't look at myself. Mm. You know, I'd avoid mirrors and I just felt this, constant shame and I didn't I just couldn't accept Mm. the person I'd become I think I was trying to live in this delusion if I didn't have to look at myself then I could still be Ash from a decade ago Mm. who you know things weren't so bad then although for me it was pretty much a train wreck (laughs) from the outset but um I really do identify with that and you know ending up in a gay bar at whatever hour it's just it highlights so much this idea of we'll go anywhere for a drink Mm. Yeah, and it's that dopamine hit of just like, oh, well, anything can happen. So part of the excitement, I guess, in those days of going out and getting drunk was, oh, well, who knows what could happen? And I always had had an inkling and quite an attraction to the idea of chaos and bizarre things happening because I guess it was a good story to tell and I always was fascinated and drawn to people who had wild, drunk, silly stories. So then... For me, having a few of those of my own in my arsenal, I thought would make me more appealing and interesting to people. And I guess some mm. of the ones that I've, I've shared now these days, a lot of people are like, what? <laughs> yeah, crazy. So was that drive for the unpredictability and the chaos, is that something that was present for you as a child? Um, I mean, I don't really see my upbringing as anything like chaotic or anything. I come from a good family. I've 
don't think I've ever seen my parents drunk. Like, so that was my um, upbringing. It was fairly normal. But I guess I did kind of spend a lot of time on my own. I do have an older brother and younger sister. But I think, I guess, I mean, the way I started drinking was just, it was in high school and it was with the, um, it was was basically peer pressure um, at the end of it. Like it started coming, like I started when I was 15 and, but it started appearing at parties when I was 13 and I wasn't really a rebellious kid. I was, I guess, always had a bit of a fearful of what my parents would think and the idea of underage drinking because it was illegal. Like, oh, I want to get in trouble with the police. So I was always against it. And then I guess eventually one afternoon after just constant bickering from mates who would just, just have a drink, um, yeah, just succumbed to peer pressure because I was just sick of them, you know, telling me to fucking do it. So then mm. I just did it. And, look, it was fine. I mean, we, I think we went to, like, a concert on, like, the Broadwater back up on the coast and, you know, we got drunk. It felt good. And that was – I think it was, like, one can of Woodstock back in those days. <laughs> yeah, so that did it. Was, it. it was a – yeah, only needed one can in those days to get the job done, a simpler time. But, yeah, there was no – love at first sight feeling or I guess like some people like a light bulb goes off and mm. like, oh, this is, okay, this is, this is what I've I, arrived. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is what I was looking for. Um, it just became something that I just associated with and I guess what you do, you start associating it um, as a part of like socialising, having a good time, feeling good. So you build this like unhealthy attachment with it. Um, probably unconsciously because you're just in the moment just thinking oh this is we're just socializing this is just a a handrail for us to have a good time and it once I became I guess once I turned 18 is when I was free to roam and responsible for my own decision making and so I could buy alcohol legally Mm. and so off the races we went. (laughs) You make such a good point there for children or teenagers if you grow up in a culture like ours where alcohol is part of the fabric, it's mm. it's this thread that runs through our lives and drinking equals socialising mm. and socialising equals friendship, it would be so difficult mm. to turn around and say no. Yeah. Well, especially as, as kids and teenagers, I guess, a big you do want to fit in and you want to be accepted by your peers and so, yeah, like if everyone else is doing, and we've talked about on our podcast, it's um, environment is key for a lot of it. So, yeah, if you're surrounded by people who are all drinking and you're the only one not drinking, you know, there can be like a conflict of interest there where you know, people are always just going to be peckering at you and then the easiest thing to do is just to join in so no one, um, no one bothers you anymore. Because I guess, yeah, like as kids, we're not – we're just sort of put in a – I don't know, where it's where in primary school you just put in a classroom together and then like, all right, find your friends mm. and that's how and that's kind of how you do it and then yeah then at just some point when you when you come into your teenagehood the alcohol starts showing up as this kind of old I guess we're teenagers we're going to rebel we're going to do something naughty mm. um yeah and then it just carries on when you get into uh becoming an, a young adult and it, it just gets implanted that just like oh yeah well we work during the week and then we unwind on the weekend and then for a lot of people it is yeah going out and um, whether it is going out and drinking or it's going out to drinking to excess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And as well, when there's a time to celebrate, we celebrate with alcohol. Mm. It's just everywhere. Yeah, birthdays, anniversaries, engagements, weddings, Tuesday. You know, <laughs> is, there's any, un, any reason to celebrate. Um, yeah, and there's any reason to have a drink for sure. When did you start to realise that your drinking was different to your peers? Um, I mean, I'd have incidences of, I guess, I'd act out or behave erratically, certainly. I guess at the start, you know, everyone will have a moment where they drink too much and they say something stupid or they say they do something that they wish they didn't do. But um, I guess probably because the frequency, I guess, in the reoccurring drinking that I was doing, I was more probable to a lot of those situations and... Um, episodes happening and I mean I can early I can remember as early as like when I was 20 of something like that happening um but I always had um comparison cop out which was oh well I don't drink as much as someone else Mm. and as we went as I went along through the years eventually 
I was drinking more than those people and I was, yeah, like I was basically uh, the one who was drinking the most out of everyone because at some point I, um, I guess when I wanted to keep going out because I guess this was just my hobby. This was like I wanted to go drink and party um, as much as possible and a lot of people didn't want to do that so then I just got used to drinking on my own a lot of the time and then I'd have, yeah, like I'd just drink. I never had any... Um, uh, I certainly never drank in moderation. I never, never thought to. I still don't think to. I just, it's always drink to excess, and always, yeah, it's always get lost. You get lost in sort of the action and blackout, and you don't really know. Um, sometimes you can't remember what happened. Obviously, can't remember what a lot, what, a lot of what you did. But I guess the turning point in my life was I met a girl when I was twenty. I guess it was like twenty one, twenty two. And at that point, I was just enjoying being single. I was just like drinking, partying, go get the girls, let's have a good time. But then I met this person and then this person um, made me feel things that I never felt about another person before. So I was I was in conflict of like I've got this single bachelor asshole figure that was driving the tractor, driving the tractor, driving the train. <laughs> and then I had this other probably more positive person feelings coming through, um, but I was... I was just an out-of-control drinking and eventually that's, yeah, like I was just out of control with my drinking and then that also led me to have no self-control with who I ended up with in, in bed, so to speak. So like I was mm. unfaithful the whole time and, yeah, so by the time I just thought I didn't, I guess I was ignorant and just oblivious of the stuff that I was doing and I kind of just thought, oh, I'm invincible, it'll be all right, I, I know what I'm doing. Probably just that young, naive, cocky um, young man that I'm sure there's plenty of them out there um, at that age. And then I guess the walls came crashing down when, um, yeah, the girl I was with, her best friend found out what I was doing. She confronted me and she said, if you don't tell her, I will. Mm. So then I had to uh, I had to sit her down. I guess I yeah, had to sit her down and just tell her what I did and to see, uh, see a woman's heart break in front of you and you being the cause of that just – it broke me <laughs> yeah. for the first time, and um, that certainly spiral. That certainly led to a downward spiral for me. Um, just self-loathing, just low, just just a depressive state. And it was around the time that was when I was first, I guess, diagnosed with depression. Because um, yeah, I just thought I was just a piece of shit, garbage human, and generally just didn't want to live anymore. And I didn't, but I didn't have the uh, the guts to sort of take take my own life, um, but then I just thought, well, if you're not going to do that, why don't you just leave it up to chance and just drink yourself stupid? Yeah. Um, so that's what I pursued. I mean, I was, yeah, like I was diagnosed with depression then I went, when I was in this, I guess, depressed state and like I was at university and that all kind of fell apart and I was trying to start like a T-shirt brand and I just threw that away. I just threw everything away. I was just like I didn't see the point in living anymore and then, going to doctors, been prescribed antidepressants and I was on different antidepressants over the years and went to therapy but the what didn't stop was the drinking and from there like the drinking certainly just accelerated because there was just, I was just frequently drinking. I mean I was working I guess full-time jobs at, at eventually that I would just Monday to Friday work, drink excessively on the weekends and then just repeat that cycle then I'd lose jobs, then go travelling overseas, go on benders for four months, come back, rebuild my life, somewhat of a life again, and then, yeah, just repeat those cycles over and over again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's madness when you, yeah. when you look back. A lot of addicts will fall into a relationship with their chosen substance as a way to get out of uncomfortability, mm-hmm. to remove themselves from feeling the feelings that they don't want to sit with. Mm. What do you think you were running away from? Um, probably just dealing with, I guess, all the shit that I did. And I was always just because I guess the reoccurring pattern would be, I guess, yeah, from drinking, doing something stupid, fucking up, the guilt, the remorse, the embarrassment, the shame that would come up from that. I don't know how to deal and process that. Oh, well, I know how to temporarily relieve myself just back and get another drink and then just repeat the cycle because all majority of my problems at the time 
were being caused by the drinking and then I was solving, trying to solve it with drinking but then just causing more problems on top of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, that's, yeah, I guess that's like the cycle of addiction. It's just you just keep stuck in this whirlwind and just um, keep making a mess for yourself. And if it's not something that you've ever experienced, it can be quite hard to understand. Mm. Um, or to see a way out from Yeah, it. yeah. Especially, yeah, if you don't have the other t- any other tools in your arsenal because, I mean, really that was my only tool was just reaching for the bottle. <laughs> Did you ever try and moderate? No. Like it, it never um, – because I – I mean, that was what made accepting sobriety easier because especially from the journey that I've been on, the people I've met, whether it was in rehab or in like AA meetings where um, a lot of people would – oh, well, I – I'll just, you know, you get to that point and you're like, all right, well, I'll, I'll just go off it for a bit and then I'll try and moderate. But I had to be completely honest with myself as it's like, okay, when was when have you ever tried to moderate your drinking? And it was just like, never, never did it. And I, like, if I was drinking today, I still wouldn't. I just, I don't see the point. It's just the neuro pathway in my brain is just like, oh, if we're going to drink, we're going to drink to excess, you know. That's right. We've got the keys to the Ferrari. We're going to drive it 200 kilometres an hour. <laughs> I'm with you, yes. It's probably not the right mindset to have, but the, then – in a weird way, that's what made um, accepting sobriety a lot easier. And I think a few of the, I guess, questions I was asked, I think even when I was in rehab, was like, was, what's easier for you, to have one and stop or just have none? Mm. Like, I was like, yeah, I guess it's none. And then another one was, um, when you are drinking, can you guarantee your behaviour? And I was like, no, I can't. And I actually remembered I got – I. I had a text message I remember from years ago and I found it on my computer the other day and it was from a friend and she even messaged me. She's just like, look, I want you to come tonight, but can you please guarantee that you're not going to you know, behave like a lunatic mm. or whatever? And I'm sure I said, yeah, 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 whatever. And then, and you would have believed that, <laughs> yeah. you know, you would have had every intention. I remember doing the exact same mm. thing. I'm, I'm going to go to this party. I'm only going to have two drinks. And then the minute I took that first sip, mm. all bets were off. Yeah, yeah. That's what we always find is just the first drink and then just something switches off mm. and away you go because then especially it's very easy to trick yourself because you think you have the first one and then, I don't know, the mind starts worrying. It's like, oh, you're doing okay. Have another one. Oh, look, this is fine. Have another one. Oh, it's – kill it. And then, yeah, then you just – then it just can go all pear-shaped very quickly because you're not, I guess, um, consciously aware of uh, what you're doing mm. whereas, I guess, for other people – they can just have one, two or three and then just be like, yeah, that's it for me. <laughs> and stop with ease. Yeah. <laughs> so you just mentioned rehab and I know that's part of your story. So can you talk me through, let's talk about, say, the six months that led up to the 1st of February 2020. Mm. What did they look like and what was the catalyst that led you to take yourself to rehab? Mm. Well, I mean, so the first, the, like my sobriety date, February 1st, was that wasn't when I went to rehab. So I've had my original sobriety date was the 20th of June 2017. So the six months before that, I mean, the six months before February 2020, I was on a four and a half month bender in Europe. Mm. So, and then I managed to stop on my own accord. But before that, so that was the before June 20th, I guess I was living with a couple of mates from high school in northern gold coast and like i was working as an uber driver but basically it was work work to the point that you could afford alcohol and then that was just repeating that cycle and when i lost my lost my license well i took a suspended sentence on my license for three months that first month and a half is just the drinking accelerated and because i had nothing else to do and i guess with also the the mental lunacy that I was going through with drinking I was also having um, physical problems with drinking so I used to get a lot of gout which is build up a uric acid levels in your joints I had one episode where I grew an extra knee so that was a Saturday morning at the uh, hospital getting that drained out Um, yeah (laughs) I couldn't walk like I was using like a cricket bat as like a walking stick so I got that and uh, I used to get I used to get breakouts of blood vessels on my face mm. from severe vomiting, um, which I was always very, I guess, yeah, because I guess when I was back living with my parents, like if they saw that on my face, they knew I'd been drinking a lot and they were always they were already getting sick of, uh, I guess, my behaviour and stuff. So 
it's very hard to hide, I guess, my, my addiction to alcohol because I break out in physical <laughs> symptoms. Mm. Um, but then also, the, I guess, then that, and then I was also severely overweight. I mean, I was told my skin was going yellow, as mm. it does. Mm. I think I had like an inflamed liver at one point. But, and then it, I guess at the end of it, then I was, I was having insomnia. I wasn't able to sleep. But then my solution, as was with everything, was like, all right, well, I'll just drink to pass out. Yeah. So then I'd be drinking all night, all morning, passing out at like six, seven o'clock in the morning, waking up in the afternoon, and then had mates finishing their day at work, coming around. Time to drink again. <laughs> Time to drink again. But yeah, so then there was a all I remember there was a Monday morning. It was it was like a Monday night, Tuesday morning. I might have had my usual array, maybe had because I jokingly said I had a twelve drink minimum, so it'd be twelve beers, maybe. I can't really remember. And then I remember having a bottle of rum. That was pretty standard. Being from Queensland, Bundaberg rum, the sugar cane champagne, drank a lot of that. <laughs> um, so I had a bottle of rum and then went into my housemate's room. He had a bottle of rum and then I drank that as well. So there was two bottles of rum <laughs> in oh. a sitting. So that I think that was like, I guess that's like nearly a litre and a half of, of alcohol. I think I barely... Better re- kill most people. <laughs> Here I am. Yeah, Wow. <laughs> And some would some would see that as a pride thing, I guess. I mean, that was the whole mm. thing with drinking with the boys who can sink the most piss. But I guess when it gets to those levels, it can be quite dangerous and fatal and quite sad. But anyway, so then I guess I don't really remember much about the next couple of days. I just remember an evening at, at where we're living. It was, I guess, game two, a state of origin. We had people around and I just remember two things. I went to the bottle shop, bought another bottle of rum replacing the one that I drank with my housemates and then it's yeah like getting out my phone and then just I don't know how I got up the courage to do it because I didn't do it for ages but I just texted mum and just said I I can't do this anymore I need help Mm. and I guess I'd for ages I wanted to because I always just thought oh well I've got to fix this my problem to fix I've Mm. got to try and fix it and I guess when you are in that spiral of just addiction and just relapsing pretty much every day and mm. I mean I mean I remember I remember finding a Facebook post after one of my big nights and screwing up saying writing this big post like I'm going to quit drinking I'm going to change I know I have a problem and then getting all these likes and comments from people like yeah good for you good start and a week later I was drunk and I deleted Facebook <laughs> so <laughs> that's the solution don't give <laughs> but, up drinking delete yeah, Facebook yeah, delete social media yeah that's the um <laughs> that's the solution just go into hiding um but yeah so at some sometimes, and especially in that state, yeah, like it was exactly what I need. I just, you did. I needed help, and I couldn't do it on my own. I tried doing it, fixing it on my own for a long time, and it just wasn't working. And I guess if it is just a male, th- it might be a man thing or like an ego thing where you you feel like you need to do it on your own. You need to to figure this out but um definitely not like I completely relate to that and I think when you're trapped in that cycle of addiction a lot of the time you beat yourself up and you give yourself a hard time because you believe that it's a moral failure Mm. as opposed to how it's now been explained to me is that I'm sick Mm. I'm not well I need to get well I'm not a bad person I'm a sick person Mm. and it's losing trust in yourself so if you get up after a big night hungover feeling sorry for yourself and you say to yourself, I'm never drinking again and then you drink again, then you're just losing trust in yourself. Mm. And so I constantly did that, you know, whether I was relapsing, if I, if I managed a couple of days, if I managed a day, if I managed an hour, like yeah. I was constantly relapsing. So I was constantly losing trust in myself. So then to keep my word and then when it would come up again, it would be easy to say, oh, you've said that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times that you would quit and you still haven't. So what makes today different yeah so having the decision i guess the having the decision made for me by someone else by reaching out to which was mum for help um was what i needed because the next morning she walked into my where i was living and she said pack your shit you're not living here anymore i was like all right (laughs) and then yeah within 48 hours i was in a rehab facility Mm. and was uh yeah which was a relief for me because I was finally in a space where I knew I couldn't drink. Mm. And so I guess there was, there was kind of an acceptance there that was, it was relief and yeah, just starting to put the pieces back together of my life. And I mean, it was a three week program I did twice cause I wasn't ready after the 
to leave after the first. So I stayed there for six weeks and then after that, uh, with the help of my parents, I got an apartment and then my focus was just on I wanted to save money to go travel Europe. I'd never been to Europe and then I wanted to sort out my um, health and fitness because I, despite the fact that I guess I was drinking excessively, I really didn't have much of a grasp on eating and um, exercise I guess, to the extent that I do now. Mm. And, you know, once – because I was still heavily overweight. I was – I mean, I was the heaviest I think I clocked was like 120 kilos from from memory. It could have been higher than that. But then from like diet, just basically sorting out my eating where I was just mostly a lot of you foods, meals, going from like 120 to 93 kilos in like a couple of months. (laughs) Wow. Um, yeah, so that was just my focus the entire time was just yeah, working to save money and then just the um, health and fitness aspect. Then got to got to the times like okay, saved enough money, health and fitness is in checked. It's been t- I mean that was two years down the track. It's like sweet. So you right. were sober for two years. Yeah. Wow. So, so that in that time and yeah, but I one thing and it's it's what I've had to learn now. The one thing that I was missing from all that was socialization, and in particular. Being putting myself in drinking environments sober and pushing through and getting past the uncomfortableness of it, I just avoided it for two years. Because mm. for then that two years, like my most of my socialization was with um, my parents. I'd see them once a week. I didn't. I probably had a handful of times I saw friends, um, but yeah, for the most part, I was just on my own. Mm. So then, uh, when I got to London, first night. It was late after Dubai and then they check into the hostel and they're like, here's your free drink card. It's like, all right. So light bulbs start going off. I was like, oh, well, I'm tired. I'll go to bed. Get up the next morning. Two guys, I'm about to go out and check out London for the day. These two guys are checking out like, hey, we just checked out. We didn't use our drink tickets. Do you want ours? So now I've got three. <laughs> so then more things are just like more anxieties coming up. I was like, oh, oh dear. It's like, all right, we'll just go out for the day. So go out, explore London. Had a good time, come back in the afternoon and then a couple of girls check into the hostel. I was like, oh, sweet. Then <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, well, let's go have a drink uh, down in the bar downstairs later this evening. And then again, I was like, oh, shit, I don't even know. Can I even talk to girls without a drink? Like I'd been so dependent on mm. alcohol for basically everything. I mean, I was one of those people that would pre-drink before pre-drinking before going out. Mm. Like it was it was my handrail for, for literally everything. And... I got to a place where, I don't know, like I was – because it comes back to peer pressure. I was just petrified in my head that I was going to encounter someone who was going to offer me a drink and I wouldn't be able to say no. They would just be persistent, just like, oh, just have a drink, just have one, you'll be fine. And that was a story that I told myself in my head that was like, well, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So you may as well just do it yourself. So then I just just snapped and just went down to the bar and just just got the first drink and just drank it. And What was that like? Oh, it's um, well, there was just that moment of just well, it's over now. Mm. <laughs> there was no which I know I've been hearing in I guess on my journey. It's like well, you know, you can have the you know you can have that first drink and you can still choose to stop. You don't have to keep going. But um, yeah, it was just like oh, in my mind, it was just like well, you've done it now. Mm. Off we go. And you know that first night. Nothing drastic really happened. So then, as our minds do, it's just like, oh, maybe it'll be different this time. <laughs> maybe I'm not an alcoholic yeah, after all. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, like you took two years off. It was a good effort. Maybe you could, maybe it'll be fine this time or I'm just, you know, pleading ignorance. And you know, I think, you know, within a couple of weeks, I mean, it was full throttle and then more sort of instances of just escapades and just... I guess embarrassing, um, awful things, yeah, would just start to happen, and yeah, did then you, just getting stuck on that roller coaster again for the next, I guess, six months. Did you tell anyone back home? No. Mm. So yeah, my my way to relapse was to go to the other side of the world where no one knew I was an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, geographical. I get yeah. that. So then that was difficult as well to keep that, I guess, away from anyone that because then I didn't. I mean, I times just confide in people that I met traveling I guess like yeah look I got a problem with alcohol <laughs> Oh no! but then you just meet people like I mean like I was in Amsterdam and got 
drunk and stoned one night and then stumbled home and lost my phone because I passed out in the street and then was really down about that. I mean, this was a month in and I had a few other instances um, of things happen on that trip. But then I get to Berlin, tell, tell that story to a couple of other Australians in the hostel and they're like, oh, mate, we just came back from Oktoberfest. I mean, I lost my passport, my bank cards, my, I'm on my third phone and you're just like... Oh, you know, there's comparison cop. It's not as bad as that, yeah. I guess, at least. You know, you, and then these guys are in good spirits. They're still here. I mean, they've got no identification. They seem to be just still kicking on and getting on with it. So, but, um, so yeah, when I, I mean, that was a, um, I mean, that was a big bender. I mean, I remember a week in Budapest having like all, like all my organs and stuff were inflamed from the excessive drinking that I was doing at one point. Eventually got home when I was just sort of mentally drained from all the traveling and all the drinking. And got back to Australia. So I was staying at my parents briefly, um, and I was, I guess, hiding it from them. Eventually, got a job, moved out. With the first weekend, I moved. Yeah, the first weekend, yeah, when I moved out, I went out, and got drunk, started. I mean, this is this is all the rock bottoms that I had. This was a really minor one, but I guess it's the one that stuck. Started messaging people on Instagram. Started messaging this. I guess this girl from my past and um i don't know i said something to her that pissed her off and she blocked me and then i woke up the next day it's just like i can't do this anymore and that was it mm. <laughs> such a this this insignificant it's probably to some people but i guess this is the gift that this woman gave me was the yeah. the wake-up call and the um the switch in my head that got me to stop and um went through i guess the withdrawal period those couple of weeks but yeah that was february 1st 2020 and i haven't had a drink since Wow, <laughs> isn't that amazing? Yeah. Through all of the chaos and the carnage, yeah. that that was the thing that. Yeah, I mean, there was so many. I mean, I've talked about them on our podcast. Some of the stuff that happened when I was drinking. That yeah, those should have been. I mean, even some of the physical things that I've described didn't stop me drinking. It was mm. just this minor thing, probably in the comparison mm. of, of the grand scale of shit that I put myself through. Yeah, um, but. That's the one that stuck. Yeah. And so I'm grateful that that's that I got that. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get sober then when you – I'm assuming you didn't go back to rehab. No, because I didn't tell my parents until I was sober again for another year. Wow. So I still kept it a secret from – even though when I did eventually tell them, once I was a year sober, I told them that I relapsed. I mean, my dad looked at me. He's just like, look, we – we saw you on your trip. You're getting a bit fat. Like we thought something was up. Because <laughs> like, like again, like I can't hide it. Like yeah. my physical demeanor changes. I guess from if I'm consuming a lot of alcohol, and especially because I was consuming copious amounts of it. Um, but I just stopped. I guess because there was a part of me that didn't want to go back to rehab. I did meet people in rehab who they were set. They've been in there several times and. You know, you're encouraged to not look at it as a failure going back to rehab. It's just like you're still trying. Mm. It's better to, to view it that way. Um, but I just just stuck it out for myself. I was just like, okay, well, if you're going to quit drinking, um, yeah, you're just going to have to do it yourself. Um, that was, I guess, that was just the default sort of um, decision that I made. And it was like February first, 2020. I mean, there was a couple of weeks where I was living, sort of in the suburbs the Gold Coast, um, I'd go out for walks and I'd go and sit in front of the liquor store, the last liquor store I bought alcohol from for myself and I'd sit in front of it for some reason. I'd sit down in front of it for some reason and then just look at like my old life and, you know, just go overthinking. It's just like, no, we have to make a change. Like don't go back in, don't go back in. And eventually I get up and leave mm. and I do that every so often and eventually I just stop sitting in front of it and – it wasn't too long after that that we had the um, the spicy cough season. So, um, <laughs> of course. But at the time, like I was, so I was renting a room in a retiree's house, and I was living with like a, a bloke in his mid forties and a woman in her sixties, and then like the landlady I was living with was in her seventies. So it wasn't really a a very drink like a very active drinking environment. I mean, the landlady would sit out and drink red wine every night and. When I told her, yeah, like I had a problem with alcohol, she was like, oh, you're not tempted to get drunk with me? I was just like, no, nah, this isn't very appealing at all. <laughs> and um, so in a way, like living there for a year um, was was quite helpful because it just took any temptation away. 
So, but then come the new year, I thought, no, I need to move out somewhere else. And I took a room closer to, well, into Broadbeach, which is, I guess, where I live now. And I moved in with a Brazilian fella and I kind of made the mistake of buying him a housewarming gift, which was a bottle of scotch. <laughs> and, um, wow. So when I handed it to him, it's like, oh, you know, it's like a, a housewarming gift for letting me move in. He's like, oh, well, let's have a drink to celebrate. And I said, I don't drink. And he said, oh, how come? I said, oh, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And he was the first person, I guess, of similar age to me who just said, okay. And he just, that was what I also, and I mean, what I respected him for because that's, I needed that. I needed someone to, I guess, respect my boundaries around it because it was always something I was um, terrified of. And I don't know, you know, to give him credit, and I don't know whether it's because he was Brazilian because, I mean, I, if I moved in, I don't know if I moved in with another Australian, oh. I would have got that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. And Maybe. Then, <laughs> mm. And then from there, I guess the – because I guess what was alluding back to was socialising and drinking environment sober. And what I came to the realisation was, okay, you avoided it for two years and you still relapsed. You're going to have to do something different. So I did the opposite and had to dip my toes in the water and just – get uncomfortable with it. And, I mean, the first thing I did was I went to a speed dating event sober on my own. <laughs> wow. That's so brave. Yeah, so that – and I remember getting there and I was just like, oh, this is, this is rough and, yeah, you just – all this ang- you know, anxious thoughts going through your head and you just think, oh, everything's fucking – everyone's looking at you, you look stupid. And then I just uh, – at some point I just went and sat with another bloke who was sitting on his own and just got through the night and um, eventually got to the next day and just realised, oh, you can do this. Mm. And it, it got easier over the time and then once um, I just, I mean, nowadays, I mean, I do struggle here and there with social anxiety from time to time but alcohol, drinking alcohol never comes thought to mind in the picture to deal with it because um, mm. I just know where it leads. Mm. How's the depression these days? Uh, I mean, to be honest, it's always a work in progress. Mm. It's something that um, has been, I guess, a struggle for me. A lot of, as lo- I guess, for as long as I can remember. Um, I kind of had this hope that, oh, well, if I quit drinking, it'll just, everything would fix itself, mm. especially that. And the two years after, in, from rehab, I guess, up until when I travelled Europe, like I was taking two different antidepressants a day. I was going to therapy and I was doing other sorts of treatments. Uh, this other one called TMS. And yeah, there wasn't really. I guess it was just either just down. either just grey or just yeah, um, stuck in low moods. Yeah, I'm not on any any antidepressants these days. And I was seeing a therapist last year and then stopped um, once I joined this men's group up, up on the Gold Coast called the Brotherhood, which I uh, spent some time with last year. And then yeah, it is just it is just something I'm still trying to navigate and try and I guess get better at dealing with (laughs) Mm, can you tell me more about the brotherhood that sounds really interesting yeah so it's just a men's group i guess uh, it markets itself as a men's wholeness group so um they do we do like workouts together then there's um there's usually breath work afterwards so like the workouts are pretty high intense so you lift the heart rate up then you do breath work afterwards, I guess, to bring you back down and then there'd be light meditation and connection and then you're in like a WhatsApp group and you set intentions every week and it's like in a way to sort of hold yourself accountable to keep, I guess, growing and becoming better men. And also it's that connection piece that mm. you were looking for, right? But yeah. you don't have to find it in a nightclub or in a bar. Yeah. Well, that was something that I had to explore because like at the end, what I've discovered is like I don't like bars and nightclubs yeah, <laughs> I, I thought I loved them. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, I never, I never even liked nightclubs. Even when I was drinking, I was just like, I don't want to fucking be in here. Like, I'm just, it's too loud. It's too many people. It's too much of a mess. But yeah, like that was always like, well, that's where you meet people. Um, mm-hmm. And what I've discovered now is that you can meet people. I mean, the the, the way that I've met people now is through group fitness and. So I think that's a better avenue, I guess, personally for me because you're meeting people who probably have more um, aligned values if, like, health and fitness is, at, like, a core value, which is one of mine. And then they might not necessarily they might not necessarily not drink, but I don't think drinking is, like, a high, um, you know, I guess a high sort of activity of theirs if they're mm. conscious about their health and fitness because I've met some people who can be really, you know, athletic and 
push hard doing that and then be complete pissheads. But I guess as you get older, it's like you're going to have to pick one. <laughs> yeah. And it also, it starts to come down to a bit of a value system where, you know, I hate to say it, but the choice to put poison down your throat mm. doesn't align with a health and well-being mm. world. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you just want, you want to, like putting something that is effectively poison, even though it's been marketed as this like, well, it's happy, happy, happy dopamine punch that you get from it. Yeah, no, um, it's a type one carcinogenic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, it's been well marketed and it is an easy solution to get relief. So mm. it's an easy one to, you know, just like, oh, you're feeling this, we'll just drink this, you'll feel better. I'll just... This is coming up. Just this. Oh, mm. too nervous to do this. I'll oh, drink that. Oh, mm. so I want to talk. You want to talk to this person? Oh, yeah, just drink that. You'll be you'll be ready to go. So, um, yeah. And I guess I put my body through hell for most of my twenties, and I guess now I'm just putting myself back together and building a better body. I guess in my thirties. So, mm. um, yeah. And it's just and my body thanks me for it. I, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet it does. What about 12-step fellowship? Have you dipped your toe into that at all? So I did go to AA. I used it, especially like after rehab. I mean, um, we used to go to meetings when I was in there and then uh, continued on afterwards. I I guess I thought, because my, my mind was like, well, I guess this is just what you have to do. And I went to, I was seeing my psychologist and he was asking me, well, how's it all going? I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to. AA and yeah and yeah I might just join this group and he's like well is that what you want to do I was like well isn't that what you're supposed to do he's like well you don't have to and so then that was like oh okay well I guess I don't have to and I've had looked at like this I guess like with the steps so yeah I never did the program I guess because I got I did I'd see the first step and it's like um you're powerless over alcohol yeah pretty much can accept that but I guess I struggled with finding a higher power but then I've looked at other steps like taking inventory. I I kind of did in my own way, I guess, in some regards. I mean, even one of the things I did as part of intention setting in the Brotherhood last year um, was uh, to apologise to the ex-girlfriend that I cheated on. Mm. You know, so this is – I don't think I'd spoken to her in like 10 years and I found her on um, an Instagram and just – I guess my only intention was to just – because I didn't want to come back into her life. Like that's why mm. I put off mm. put off doing it for so long because, yeah, and then wrote out this thing. I was like, all right, well, your only intention is just to send this message. So I wrote this message, taking responsibility, because I don't know if I ever actually did apologise for it because I can't remember. And a lot of the drinking post that was to try and forget the relationship ever happened because that was just, I guess, me not dealing with the trauma that I caused myself and caused other people and... um which I and at the end of the day, I might have wiped the relationship from my memory, but I never forgot what I did. Yeah. So then I wrote the message and then just sent it. I was like, okay, well, that's done. I didn't didn't have any thoughts of anything else beyond, beyond that. It's like, right, right, my intentions are done for the week. Mm. And so it wasn't until two months later that I woke up about to go training with the boys and I receive a message from her and she forgave me. Wow. And yeah, like I just I just started crying for like days after that because um, like I'd carried that for ten years, I guess, and and to to this day, like if people ask me like, what's the worst thing you ever did when you were drinking? I was like, well, that was it. That yeah. was the worst thing I ever did. Um, to be, I guess, I guess, gifted forgiveness like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's still like to think about now is quite yeah, like a heavy thing, and it was. Um, it was yeah. It was good to receive it. <laughs> There's a real sense of freedom that comes from that process of making amends, isn't there? Mm. It's like the opportunity to right your wrongs and then to be able to walk through life with your head held high and your your self esteem has been rebuilt. Mm. Yeah, and I mean that's step nine. I think it is. Yeah, you're making amends, and I certainly did that with family because. Um, them through hell with how I was behaving like apologizing to my parents my brother my sister my cousin and then like this this ex-girlfriend like this was the last I guess this is the other person that I always knew that I, I should apologize to and then for that to happen to finally just I guess it was sort of like well that's 
that's been li- that load's been lifted off mm. you now, and um, mm. hopefully now you can grow and move forward from it. Because certainly it was a lesson learned. Just like, yeah, I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What's something that you've learned about yourself since you got sober? <laughs> I can't moderate my drinking. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I like structure. I guess is one. Um, I'm pretty regimented and disciplined these days. I mean, people. I mean, friends will, will say like, if I. I mean, probably it hasn't been like that. I guess with traveling, but like I, I can eat a lot of the same foods over and over again. Do a lot of the same training. Um, it's in sort of set schedules. It's like you know, if I get consistent, getting up the same time every day, um, set tasks uh, to complete. Um, certainly, like the chaos world that I used to be attracted to and enthralled by is certainly not something that appeals to me anymore. Like mm. you know, um, even people <laughs> stuff like people want to meet up at like seven thirty at night. It's just like no, 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 no. That's, that's too late. <laughs> I mean, need- it's been different here. Like where daylight savings and the sun sets at nine, so I've been actually staying up a bit later. But back home, the sun's down at seven. And I'm in bed by like eight. Like yeah. Yeah, it's just like you want to meet up at seven. No, no, no. We got AM. Yeah. <laughs> AM's a bit late. Half the day's fucking done. Like. Uh, but yeah, so definitely, yes, I'd say structure is something that I've probably learned in sobriety that I'd quite value. And it seems it's a far more productive uh, tool to have than just the chaos that addiction can bring. Mm. What do you do today to maintain your sobriety? Um. I put a bunch of it's. I guess it's back to that taking inventory. I put a bunch of things in front of me, or I look at the life that I have now and, and think, would I have this life if I was drinking? So you know, it's like, okay, you've got, you know, like I'm. I feel like I'm in probably the best shape and health in my life. It's like, okay, would you have that if you're drinking? No. Would I look this? Would I look like this if I was drinking? No. Um, you know, I guess the jobs that I've, that I've had. In, when I was the, like the last jobs that I had, would I have those jobs if I was drinking? You know, hard to say. Um, where I'm living and brought right in the prime of Broad Beach, you know, would I have that if I was drinking? Probably not. Would I have better relationships with my family? Um, close, I guess, connected relationships with friends. Would I have that if I was drinking? No. So, you know, there's a lot of things that I put in the way, I guess, before picking up the drink again. And I've kind of got to a point it's probably the confidence most confident it's probably the place where I feel most confident about is um, that sobriety is for me it's I don't ever want to go back down that road again and I don't particularly want to have to go back like slip back back down that road again and then have to build a life mm. back to where I am now like it's like I've built a pretty good foundation right now and I want to keep de- growing and developing on top of that um, mm. essentially the cost is too much for me because like, mm. it costs me everything. <laughs> Yeah. So that's what I keep in mind. I guess that's what I keep in mind. Yeah. With and it never it never crosses my mind anymore. And I think that just comes with time and consistency. And then you're just reminding yourself why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, last drinks podcast. <coughs> yep. Where did the inspiration for this come from? So Mitch and I met in the Brotherhood. And when Mitch joined, he was still drinking. So when I I actually did my very first podcast interview with the Brotherhood, they had a podcast, so I relayed bits and pieces of my story on there, which then Mitch then started reaching out to me in the group and saying he was having issues with drinking and I kind of guided him and advised him on that. And then we, I guess, because we, bo- we were both working jobs we didn't like and like I've abruptly quit mine and then not long after Mitch abruptly quit his but during this time he mentioned to me he's like would you be interested in doing a podcast talking about our experiences with alcohol I was just like sure you know I, I thought you know could be, I wouldn't I was keen to do something I was keen to, to, to work with someone on something if it was to do something like that and I thought yeah why not and it was just one Saturday afternoon we got together in Mitch's apartment we put a microphone in the middle of his kitchen table we forgot to shut the um, <laughs> the balcony uh, door so you can hear all the outside motorcycle noises and stuff. But 
it's rustic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So we had it. We set up two of two iPhones on two like Kmart tripods, and then yeah, that we just sat and chatted shit about alcohol for an hour, and that was the first episode, and that's the first episode that's uh, live today, and that's what we've kept doing, I guess, ever since. And since then, then we've interviewed people. I mean, anything from guys that we've met in the Brotherhood who have their stories around alcohol to, I guess, prominent, uh, more prominent. Uh, people in the sober community and then other people who've had i guess going beyond i guess just alcohol addiction we've spoken to people with drug addictions and Mm. um yeah i guess expanding from there and it's been an interesting experience and certainly good to learn different perspectives from different people and yeah see that you know that there is um like there isn't just like one way to do it like there's plenty of different ways to, to go about it, I guess, with the common goal of just yeah, yeah, staying sober and then living a healthy, fulfilling life. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're so right about the fact that it's important if we're talking about sobriety, it's important to speak to people that are recovering from more than just alcohol, mm. you know, and I'm talking about, you know, casting a really wide net here. So, for me, with my podcast, that includes anybody that might have experienced love addiction, gambling addiction, drug addiction, codependency, mm. eating disorders. They're, they're all, they all, for me, fall under this one bucket. Mm. And it, there's generally a really common theme of what we've been through in our lives that have led us mm-hmm. to go down these paths. So it's that commonality that we all share, even though our lives look very, very different. We all have this similarity yeah well there is no i mean there is no like picture of an addict and i think with even though society tells us that it's the guy under the bridge with the brown paper yeah bag. i still haven't seen i mean i haven't seen that guy <laughs> lately but <laughs> right uh, no you can get I, mean, I remember there was a guy in, in one of the meetings i went to and his description was like i went from the pe- i went from the penthouse to the shit house <laughs> <laughs> um but um yeah like there is i mean I think addiction is a lot more common than we probably think it is because I think it's just a it's a habit of behaviour. Or even our phones now yeah, these yeah. days. And I think partly I think just because of the severity and the stigma with drug and alcohol addiction and how detrimental and the negative effects it has not only on the addict but then those around him. But as opposed to something like social media addiction or like food addiction or porn addiction, it's not as I guess. I guess openly sort of um, known to to a lot of people. I guess not as in view as like seeing some drunk wandering down the street or someone shooting up. Mm. Um, but yeah, it has no. There's no image of it. It's just yeah, you know, you be. It's always a surprise when you meet people. You know, like meeting people like oh yeah, I've got a problem with that. I was like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's part of the reason this podcast is called Behind the Smile because I think so so many people are pushing through life with these big smiles, presenting one version of themselves to the world, Mm. acting like they're okay, keeping up the facade, but the reality is they're really struggling on the inside Mm. and they just don't know how to ask for help. Yeah, and then the attitude just, oh, just push through, it'll sort itself out, just keep Mm. going. Mm. And yeah, then a lot of the times that just leads, it just builds up and then you just have a breaking point where you have a mental breakdown and then I don't know, quit your job or just (laughs) start (laughs) hitting the piss again. Exactly right. (laughs) Will, I feel like I could chat to you all day about this, but I am going to finish on one final question. That is, what are your three non-negotiables that allow you to live a life today that is happy, joyous and free? Um, I guess exercise is one. I mean, it's something I do, try to do it like almost every day. I just move my body, even if it is just going for walks. I mean, that's how I started my exercise journey after rehab was just going for a walk for 15 minutes and then just progressing as we went along. And it led this, I guess, led led to here. Um, pursuing work that's fulfilling, I guess having more of a focus on life, a life that's fulfilling and purposeful mm. and meaningful as opposed to like the pursuit of happiness because um, I've always found, I mean, I was always like, oh, I just want to be fat, I just want to be happy. And then when I wasn't happy, it's like, oh, well, I'm failing at life and then you just plummet, you go. So mm. when happiness comes from, I guess, 
um, the pursuits that you're doing and I found if, if the work that I'm doing is meaningful and purposeful and that I get fulfilment from that, if it is helping other people um, find the light with um, whether it is changing their habits around alcohol, giving it up entirely. I mean, I believe that most people would be better off without alcohol or don't even really need it. I mean, I, I can't really think of anything you need it for besides just feeling good. Mm. Um, but there's other ways that you can do that. Um, so it'd be that. And <laughs> that was just what came to mind. I just thought of all day breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, all day breakfast. I, I love I, it. I love I, I love eating breakfast, breakfast for breakfast, breakfast for lunch. It's a lot of a lot of eggs, Benedict. Lots of eggs, bacon, pan. I mean, I was in when I was in Adelaide. Adelaide's got the uh, the original pancake kitchen, so I went there a couple of times. It's open twenty four hours <laughs> on um just down an alleyway on Hindley Street, which is the um the, the big party district in Adelaide, mm. um, which is where we stayed for the duration where I stayed for the duration of my trip in Adelaide was to stay on the least sober street in Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> I love just, it. Just to, keep my, just to keep me on my toes. <laughs> yeah, just, to, just to check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So all-day breakfast, exercise, and finding purpose and meaning in the work that you do. Yeah. I really love those, especially the last one. I know I love what you said about then just about the pursuit of happiness. For me these days it's the pursuit of contentment mm. and that trumps happiness yeah. any day of the week. But I guess also finding connection with a good group of people. It's like connection if it is community and just having a good group of people around you who love and support you mm. and being able to have, I guess, deep, meaningful connections um, is certainly what I've grown to appreciate a lot more because I guess I never really was able to before when I was drinking. I mean, the only relationship I had was just with the bottle, and I'd sort of see it as like, it's like kind of, it was kind of like a toxic relationship. I'd say it was just that ex that you just can't get rid of. They always say they're going to be different, you know. Mm. This time will be different, and then it's always the same thing every time. You just keep going back, um, and it kept, and that kept me from actually making connections and bonding with other people. Um, especially those around me because I just wasn't present or available because I was just off off with the fairies, I guess, drunk all the time. So certainly being able to have um, better connections and being around the right people because, yeah, environment is key, is, is one of the big ones. <laughs> mm, yeah, super powerful. Will, we say here on Behind the Smile that when we recover loudly, no one needs suffer in silence. So I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to stop by Melbourne to join <laughs> me here today to speak to our listeners and to share your story. I will be forever grateful. Thank you. It's Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to come on here and put a smile on people's faces. <laughs> That's it. And I'll make sure that I pop the details for Last Drinks Podcast in the show notes. Where can people find you? It's just Last Drinks Podcast on Instagram, TikTok, uh, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you.